This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of this week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. And this is the week of September 14th. This is the first week of season 37. Yay! Jeopardy is back! Hooray! 2020 is terrible, but Jeopardy is back. So that's one good thing. Yes, it is back. And we will not think about anything else for the next Nothing hour else. or so. Only trivia. Only trivia. So getting into it on Monday, September 14th, which is uh, one of my tape or anniversaries. Happy anniversary! Thank you. Uh, I believe it was my third game against uh, uh, Riley and Andrew. Anyway, mm-hmm. on Monday, September 14th, we have the contestants. Frankie Butler, a TV writer from Los Angeles, California. Jeff Rich, an astronomer from Glendale, California. And Corey Barger, an orchestra musician from Riverside, California. Notice uh, no Zach Newkirk. He mm-hmm. is remaining safe on the other side of the country by Good not choice, traveling. Zach. Yes. Um, and if I understand correctly, um, when he is uh, safely and like logistically able to return, uh, he will return as champion and they will have two co-champions and one new competitor. Um, I think that's the plan. The drama. Um, that is that's apparently how they've handled it um, in previous in situations. Yeah. yeah, where where uh, where a champion had to defer um, defending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. In the Jeopardy round, we get the categories opening statements. Convenient. Discovery. Approach the bench. Uh, Cross examination. Mm-hmm. Sidebar and sentencing. And we are recording this very soon after hearing the. Uh, very sad news about the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So that will be coloring a lot of our perspective during it this recording. Sure will. Uh, but anyway, trivia. The trivia. Mm-hmm. The trivia was here. Only the trivia. Predictably, I liked and did well on the sentencing category. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, and the contestants did pretty well on it. They uh, had a triple stumper on the 800 level. Uh, this is the subject at hand. This type of sentence tells the main idea of a paragraph. Um, and uh, Frankie guessed thesis sentence. Corey guessed exposition. Um, nobody thought of the topic. The topic sentence. Yes, because um, it's probably yeah. been a while since they were in, I don't know, seventh grade English class. Yeah, that is, <laughs> it's very that seventh grade English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, We find the Daily Double as the 20th pick in the cross-examination category, which also I liked, predictably. Um, uh, It's at the $600 level, and Corey uncovers it. Um, uh, Corey is at $2,000 at this point. Jeff is at $3,400. Frankie at $800. Um, uh, Corey wagers $1,500 and gets the clue. Also known as St. Andrew's Cross, the Crux de Cusata can represent the Roman numeral of this number. And um, 
She correctly responds, what is 10? The rest of that category gave him a bit of trouble. Uh, we didn't see the $200 clue. $400 clue was a triple stumper. The $800 clue was a triple stumper. Mm-hmm. But luckily, uh, Frankie got in on the $1,000 clue. Egyptians used the Crux on Santa, a cross with a loop on top, better known by this four-letter name. That's an onk. So she redeemed him at the bottom there. That's right. And uh, I enjoyed a potent potable, potent potables-ish uh, <laughs> category <laughs> in yeah. sidebar, which was all about um, cocktail ephemera, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, lemon twists, orja syrup, which I've always wondered about what how to how to pronounce that, but mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I'll follow Alex. He says orja, I think. Uh, he also um, says raw. <laughs> he sure does, and he did a few times this so week. So maybe maybe a little uh, less affectation on it, but yeah, we'll see. Um, yeah, but I I keep looking at him, me like or yeet, uh, mm-hmm. knowing that can't be quite right. So orja, that sounds good. Um, there was a clue about muddlers in there and a clue about bitters. So that was fun. Yeah. Reminded me I need to spend some time making cocktails so I can learn this stuff better. And yeah. also so I can um, get drunk more often. Always a goal. <laughs> always um, all right. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Corey is at 3,900. Jeff is in the lead with 4,800. Frankie has 2,400 and we get the double Jeopardy categories President and accounted for, one word, two meanings, Italian opera, roll with the changes, this American city, and good PR, uh, PR in quotation marks. Yeah. And I thought, uh, I thought pretty early we were going to get into that Italian opera category, but then they left most of them for last. Mm. <clears throat> but so they we'll did get, get to all of them eventually. They did, yeah. Daily Double number two came in pretty early in the one word, two meanings category. Jeff did really well in this. Uh, he, he found it. It's at the $1,600 level. He wagered 2000 of his 7200 Corey was at 4300 and Frankie at 2400 uh, And he got the clue. It's a large waterfall or an eye abnormality. And he gets that correct with what is a cataract. Mm-hmm. I had not heard of the $2,000 clue in that category. Uh, It's a three-letter word for a water sprite of German folklore, or it can mean to put the kibosh on. Uh, And that is Nix. Jeff got that one. Um, I knew Nix as to, you know, to to stop or veto, um, but I didn't know it as the uh, water, German water sprite. Today Mm. I learned. Today? Monday I learned. That's right. Yeah. That, That day. Yes. All right, uh, Daily Double number three comes up at the $2,000 level of This American City as the 17th pick. Uh, Jeff finds this one as well, and again, wagers $2,000. Uh, this time he has 17600 to Corey's 6300 and Frankie's 4800 He gets the clue, part of what locals call the Metroplex, this Texas city was founded as an army post in 1849, and he correctly responds, what is Fort Worth? Yeah, so he's up to a really good lead there. Mm-hmm. He gets out to a really, really strong lead, but right at the very end, Corey and Frankie are able to get back up into striking distance to, to be able to make it a game in, in final. Uh, and the last three clues are in the Italian opera category, and Corey got them getting to show off her classical music shops. That was, I was happy for her because I could imagine myself in that position and getting really frustrated if I didn't get to those 
opera clues. Yeah, no, it was it was good to see her shine there. Yeah, and that and that you know that made it a game. Uh, so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Frankie is in third place at eleven thousand six hundred. Corey is in second at twelve thousand three hundred, and Jeff is in the lead at twenty one thousand six hundred. And they get the category famous buildings, and the clue. This Rome building, with a name from the Greek, was described by Michelangelo as coming from, quote, angelic and not human design. Uh, Frankie wagered everything but 50 bucks and said, what is St. Peter's Basilica? But then crossed it out, which I think we've talked about. Like, it's better to put something than nothing, Mm -hmm. but also show that you know that you're wrong. Like, kind of save some face sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's a tough break. Um, Jeff wrote. I wonder if they would have accepted St. Peter's Basilica if it had been correct. We you know like, well, if you write the right answer and then cross it out, but it's still legible. Do they take it? I don't know. That, I mean, there's a lot of talk about what they take in Final Jeopardies this week. So who mm. knows? Who knows? Yes, indeed. Um, uh, Corey wagered 11,500 and wrote, what is the Pantheon? Which was correct. And Jeff wagered 8,400, which was significantly more than a cover bet, but, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Uh, and he wrote, what is the forum, which is incorrect. So Corey is our champion for the first day mm-hmm. of season 37. That's right. Uh, so that brings us to Tuesday, September 15, where our contestants are Betsy Rice, a test prep tutor from Sherman Oaks, California. Uh, Ted Fruchtman, a supply chain manager from Los Angeles, California, and Corey Barger, an orchestra musician from Riverside, California, whose one-day cash winnings total $23,800. And just saying all those Californias in a row reminded me to mention, if you're not paying attention to this, uh, that they are bringing in only local contestants as a uh, a COVID precaution uh, at this time. I don't think we explicitly said that although we sort of alluded maybe you did no no we, we haven't been we explicit. Allu- yeah yeah so we alluded to that with uh with zach not returning at this time um but right now it is local contestants only and they've spread the podiums out which i thought would be really weird but i'm i'm doing okay with it yeah i mean it really isn't a big deal because most of the time it, it's zoomed in on the contestant anyway mm-hmm. yeah and i believe alex is conducting the interviews from kind of across the stage instead of getting um kind of up close and personal yeah 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 uh, anyway, in the Jeopardy category, it's a Jeopardy category. In the Jeopardy round, we get the categories Know Your Rights, Name the Director, It Comes from Animals, On the Go, Pieces of Eight, Eight in quotation marks, and Ken Jennings on Winning Streaks. Yeah, so this is a, a category with Ken Jennings in his new capacity as consulting producer. Those were fun, although I, I felt for, for Ken because I could tell that he had the pretty common feeling of anybody who has been on stage in front of people where they can see your entire body, which is Mm. what do you do with your hands? And he wasn't doing (laughs) weird things with them. It's just the whole time watching him, I was like, he is, he is locked in on keeping those hands still. I can just tell because I've been there plenty of times. I know exactly how he's feeling right now. Mm. I hadn't especially picked up on that, but I, uh, I'm going to have to go back and look for it. Yeah, because it's easy when you're like at a, you know, at a lectern or a yeah, pulpit you've got something or yeah. you, have your, you have your papers in hand or you have a buzzer. Mm-hmm. Or like when there's something to do with your hands, it's always easy. You don't think about it. But when it's just like you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Anyway. I heard some controversy about the uh, it comes from animals category at the thousand dollar level. So the clue there is the red pigment carmine comes from cochineal, this type of animal. Betsy rang in and said, what is a beetle? But it is not a type of beetle. It's a parasite. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Insect. So, right. so it's, it yeah, is so too specific there. Yes, she was too specific. If they were looking for, I mean, in this case, they wouldn't be looking for beetle. If, they would, if they'd been looking for a specific type of insect and she had said insect, she might have gotten a be more specific. Yeah. Um, she was too specific with beetle. Um, it's not a beetle, although it is an insect. Which um. makes me wonder, if you ring in every time and you know that the correct response is a noun of some kind, if you just say a thing... Would they be like, well, be more specific? And you just keep working your way down? How many be more specifics do you get? Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Not worth Probably finding. Just Probably just the yeah, one. Probably just the one. Yeah, I wouldn't mess with it, honestly. That's, that's fair. Yeah. Um, we get the, uh, the first daily double in the Know Your Rights category. It's pick number 28, very near the end. Uh, Corey finds it. It's at the $600 level, and she wagers $2,000. She's in the lead at $6,400. Ted is at $4,000, and Betsy's at negative $400. Uh, she gets the clue. In 2020, Virginia became the 38th state to ratify this proposed amendment, but there's the matter of that 1982 deadline, uh, and that is the Equal Rights Amendment, which she got correct. Mm-hmm. I need to stop going down the rabbit hole on cochineal. Right. Apparently, it used to sometimes be called the cochineal beetle, but that's not like Ooh. taxonomically correct. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, at the end of the Jeopardy round, Corey's in the lead at 8,400, Ted is at 4,000, and Betsy on that last clue got herself out of the hole to 400. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, Hello and Goodbye, Volcanoes, TV Shows by Episodes, On the Bookshelf, The Sultans, and Of Sting. Mm. Which is a pun on the Dire Straits song. I definitely got that reference. I mean, I, I sort of recognized it. I couldn't have placed it. Sultans of Swing. I love that song. I'm not sure why. I don't much care for anything else by Dire Straits. Really, most. I'm, mm-hmm. I realize I'm going to get some hate for this, but really, most 80s music, I just am like, meh. But I love that song, and I'm not sure why. Hmm. Okay. I'm not sure I have any opinion on that song. I. Cannot get it in my mind. Uh, I'll have to go listen to it later. Mm-hmm. Always researching. Do you have an opinion about South Park, which came up in the TV shows by episodes category? I like South Park. Okay. I mean, it's over the top. And yeah, it is. You gotta know. You have to accept <laughs> Some of it's that. aged poorly. Oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm yeah. not saying like I like every single thing they've done. Oh yeah, no, no. no. And um, as much as it's a weak argument to say. They don't discriminate in who and what they offend. They don't. Yeah. <laughs> so like, no, it's it's pretty much all around. Yeah. Um, I, I asked because it's Colorado and you're. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, little little trivia for you for the listeners. South Park is a real town, but the show South Park is not based on the town South Park. Uh, the town that is in the show is actually based on Evergreen. Which is a mountain hmm. town. Okay. Hmm. Now I know. 
Uh, the one right below that, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel was a triple stumper. Each of these, the clue, the, the clue was two episode titles, um, and then you had to get the TV show from that. So, uh, so for uh, for the twelve hundred, a Jewish girl walks into the Apollo, and it's comedy or cabbage. And I remember enjoying what I've seen of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And several scenes were uh, shot at my former seminary, uh, Union Seminary in New York. So that's fun oh, too. Cool. Yeah. They shoot a lot of stuff there, so often I'm I'm recognizing mm. uh, various parts of my uh, my graduate institution um, in various movies and TV shows. It's fun. Nice. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, Daily Double number two comes up in the Sultans at the sixteen hundred dollar level. It's the nineteenth pick. Ted finds it and wagers thirty six hundred of his seventy six hundred. Uh, Corey's at 12400 at that point, and Betsy's at 2000 uh, He gets the clue, Since the 16th century, Ottoman sultans have claimed this six-letter religious title passed down to followers of Muhammad. And he kind of froze up on this for a few seconds and ended up at the last second guessing Sheik. Uh, the correct response here is Caliph. And Ted continues on and finds Daily Double number three only four clues later to pick number 23 in the Hello Goodbye category at the $1,200 level. Uh, he had dropped down from before, uh, and this time he wagers 4000 He has 6800 Corey's up at 12400 and Betsy's at 2400 And he gets the clue. ALV is texting shorthand for goodbye from the pronunciation of this three-word Spanish expression. In what universe? Yeah, who? I, I mean... Who? The Jeopardy writers, Sorry. apparently. Sorry for shouting into the microphone, but it's, I'm angry about this one. It's cool. I use a compressor. You can shout all you want. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't... I've never encountered this. If somebody sent me ALV, I'd be like, did you misspell ALF? And why are you texting me about ALF? <laughs> <laughs> apparently it's hasta la vista um and ted got really close he guessed what is hasta luego i think he was trying to get there but couldn't remember what it was um but that's a really i don't know that, that's a bizarre question and he's out four thousand dollars because of it i'm searching alv texting abbreviation and i i see a citation or two but none of them look anywhere near authoritative mm-hmm I'm sure th- I'm sure the Jeopardy writers would not create a website just to substantiate this ridiculous daily double. But like, <laughs> what do you think Wikipedia is? Uh, Wikipedia is the website that you um, that you edit if you think somebody in the quiz you host is cheating. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, it's also my main source for daily, for uh, deep dives. So, oh, oh yeah, hopefully. no, it's a great. It, <laughs> yeah. Wikipedia is oh, a yeah, great no, starting great. point for research. Like, yeah, um, it's, it's straightforward. Anyway, uh, we had a little bit of uh, Jeopardy prescience in the on the bookshelf category at the twelve hundred dollar level. The clue is the final days was Woodward and Bernstein's sequel to this nonfiction bestseller. Betsy got it. That's all the President's Men. Would uh, Bob Woodward recently uh, released uh, another? book oh i don't know if you heard don't know if you heard that yeah yeah Yeah. just a little little something just just right there gonna Mm -hmm. leave it though and move on yeah so as we go into final jeopardy ted has not managed to recover from that 
third daily double miss. Um, so Corey is at 13,600, Ted is at 6,400, and Betsy's at 2,000. So it is a lock game for Corey as long as she keeps her wager small. And the final Jeopardy category is the music biz. The clue is, in 2019, at a 60th anniversary event in Detroit, this producer announced his retirement, saying he had come full circle. Betsy has wagered 800, and she wrote, who is Barry Gordy? Um, that's my attempt at a mid-Atlantic accent. Um, she, she wrote, who is Barry Gordy? Uh, she spelled it B-A-R-R-Y. Alex informed her that that was wrong because his first name is Barry. B-E-R-R-Y. I am trying really hard to differentiate these vowels for you so that I don't argue against a straw man, but just about everybody pronounces these names Barry and Barry um, yes. or something like that. Just to say uh, the same. Yes. So Betsy is incorrect and drops down to 1,200. Ted has who is question mark, uh, question mark, question mark with a $0 wager. So he stays at 6,400. Corey also wagered zero and wrote, who is no idea, frowny face. Uh, so she stays at 13,600 and is the winner. But the story here is this Barry, Barry controversy. Yeah, they, I think they should have accepted Barry spelled with an A. I think that is well within the bounds of normal Final Jeopardy rules. Um, yes, I can, I can understand the argument that B-A-R-R-Y is an extant name. It is a it is a different name that already exists. And so in doing so, you have given an incorrect first name. However, and I, I have this problem a lot, especially like we've talked about in a number of cases, when when the judges seem to like need prompting or Alex gives like, you know, asks for more like specificity on things when it shouldn't be. Like the clue very clearly stipulates that the correct response will be a, a an award-winning uh, music producer. And mm-hmm. granted, I mm-hmm. don't know everything about the music industry, and it's, you know, a cursory internet search that may or may not be correct. But to, to my knowledge and what I could see, there is no Barry, B-A-R-R-Y, Gordy, who is also a music producer but just doesn't fit the clue. So mm-hmm. the parameters of the clue, I think, very clearly make it so that Barry Gordy is acceptable. And if you misspell it a little bit, if it's still phonetic, it's right. It's not mm-hmm. like you're naming someone else that could possibly fit the clue. Like when yes. we talk about President Kennedy, it's like, which mm-hmm. one? Well, the only one. I don't have to give you the first name because there's only been one. I will always agree with that point. The Jeopardy social media accounts seem to be holding to um, the idea that Barry with an A and Barry with an E are two separate names Mm -hmm. and that somehow that's a distinction. Um, People have brought up um, cases of accepting uh, Stephen Crane with a a V instead of a PH. PH. I think it, Yeah. yeah. And I think there's some kind of like implicit argument that Stephen with a V versus a PH is two spellings of the same name, not two different names. But this, this, at all, I, I I don't follow that at all. Well, that's I like think. Sarah with or without an H. It's like the right. Sarahs care about that, and that's not their name. Mm-hmm. But on yeah. Jeopardy, it should be acceptable. If you're writing their mail, you know, if you're addressing mail to them, you know, please, by all means, like definitely spell Barry Gordy correctly if you're sending him a letter. Mm-hmm. Um 
But if you have to produce his name on Jeopardy, yeah. a phonetic spelling is supposed to be acceptable. Exactly. I think we were told in the green room, uh, and they, you know, this is, it, it's a joke um, to make light of it, but, you know, we were told, if you don't know how to spell your final Jeopardy, just write it phonetically. If the correct response is, what is Jeopardy, and you spell it J-E-P-U-R-D-E-E, we will take it, because when you read it out loud, it's pronounced Jeopardy. Right? That's exactly um, what they tell you. Yes. So Maybe the rules change for season 37. I don't know. Yes. I'm feeling a little salty about this one. Yeah. Fortunately, it was a it was a double lock game. If Betsy had been ruled correct, um, there would not have been a material change in her outcome. Right. Um, but I think Jeopardy kind of owes her an apology. Yeah. She should have been ruled correct. Because, I mean, especially mm-hmm. for someone going into, into Final Jeopardy in third place with no chance of getting anything other than third place unless the other contestants do something really wild. Kind of the only thing you have is getting that right. The pride of being the right? one person to get it right. Like, yeah. Betsy, we know you were the one person to get it right. Good job, Betsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, potent potables have ruled you correct. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if that counts for anything in your book. There you go. I, I have to believe that you're right. Because otherwise I didn't win five or more games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, uh, listeners, I am, I am over on Twitter uh, grousing that Betsy is being held to a much more rigorous standard than my competitors were when they, when they wrote the word Wiley Coyote instead of Wile E Coyote. And it's fine. I am, you know, I, that is the one I'm not mad about. Those are the rules. It's an intentional pun meant to play on the word Wiley. So, you know, Kyle and Raymond, Raymond both wrote Wiley Coyote and it was accepted and that's fine. And they should have accepted Barry Gordy. Mm-hmm. But if they all of a sudden want to really be sticklers about spelling and they decide to uh, retroactively <laughs> reassess their decision, I'd be happy to return to the stage mm-hmm. in a heartbeat. Yeah, that would be great. It's never going to happen. I'm just always trying to come up with implausible reasons I, I should get to go back on Jeopardy. Right. Well, so am I. <laughs> like, everyone does, except maybe Ken Jennings at this point. Yeah. All right. Anyway, we have spent a long time talking about that. All right. All right. So on Wednesday, uh, we get the contestants David Ferrara, a realtor from Los Angeles, California, Kelly Decker, an actress from Cagle Canyon, California, and Corey Barger, an orchestra musician from Riverside, California, whose two-day cash winnings total $37,400. And in the Jeopardy round, we get These United States, number please, TV shows based on books by women, What to Wear, European History, and You Idiom, with you in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, night's, this night's drama was that Kelly Decker was a very vivacious and animated contestant. Yeah. And that bothered that bothered some people and that is not okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess you can be bothered by whatever you're bothered by, but um thousands of tweets about people being annoyed by her is not acceptable. Listeners, if any of you made one of those tweets, just pause the podcast and go delete it and uh we'll see you when you when you come back. Just pause it, go do it. Yep, we'll give you um, a, give you a second. Well, we don't have to because you can pause us. Yeah, it's like it's like I tell my my three year old, you are allowed to feel whatever you are feeling. What you're not mm-hmm. allowed to do is make that feeling hurt someone else. Right. You're just not allowed um, to. That's not okay. You can mm-hmm. feel upset. You can feel bothered. You can feel annoyed. You're not allowed to say because of that feeling, I'm gonna I'm gonna hurt someone. 
Just not okay. Go, go bully people on the internet. Yeah, my three-year-old's pretty good at it. So, so can all mm-hmm. of you people who have Twitter. Word. All right. And with that, let's go to the Daily Double, uh, which is in European history at the $1,000 level. Uh, it's the fifth pick, and Corey finds this one. Um, and wagers a 1,000. Uh, she only has 800 at that point. Kelly's at negative 200, and David is at 400. And Corey gets the clue. Helped by Lord Byron in 1830, it became the first of the Ottoman Empire's subject nations to achieve independence. And she guesses what is Turkey, I think, um, kind of making a connection between Ottoman Empire and Turkey. Um, The correct answer here is Greece. Um, And then Alex tried to say something clarifying about Lord Byron as if like, oh, of course, Lord Byron. (laughs) Yeah, because we all know Lord Byron, that I'm not definitely Googling Lord Byron. Apparently he died in Greece. Oh, Oh, he supported the Greek struggle for independence from Turkey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did not know that. Now we do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I sort of vaguely recalled it. I, I did correctly answer Greece based on vaguely remembering that about Lord Byron, but it's like, it's not like super common knowledge that everyone would just be like, oh, yes, Lord Byron and his support for the Greek struggle for independence. Yeah, him and Tom Hanks, uh, right? Yeah. Both love Greece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a strange connection to last week's episode in the uh, TV shows category, the $800 level. It's about, I'm not going to read the clue, but it, the correct answer is Roswell, which uh, our guest uh, Kate Tucci-Share talked about because she is doing a podcast where they're talking about that show right now like as that's right (laughs) so that was it that was a weird connection for me to for me to have yeah that was fun uh so at the end of the jeopardy round um david is in the lead with 3600 kelly has 2800 Corey has 1000 and we get the double jeopardy categories summarizing the novel acm awards a burrow burial six letter words Navajo and sand painting. So Daily Double number two shows up in the six-letter words category. Uh, it's at the $1,600 level. Uh, Kelly found it. She wagered 3000 of her 5600 She said she was afraid at the beginning of it, uh, which was endearing to me. But she wagered 3000 because it's, it's an even number. <laughs> Good logic. Uh, Corey was at 1400 David was at 4800 uh, She gets the clue, used to indicate whether a substance is acidic or basic, this compound is obtained from lichens. And she could not pull it, but it is litmus. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which most folks, I think, well, I don't know if most folks, I feel like I know it more as a political, like a figurative political term right and as the actual like uh like scientific ph test yeah um yeah you get a little litmus strip and you dip it in the solution and turns pink or blue or daily double number three comes in the navajo category at the 1600 hundred dollar level it's the 24th pick david finds this one and wagers three thousand of his twelve thousand eight hundred um kelly's at twenty six hundred at this point and Corey's at fourteen hundred And he gets the clue, the unique complexities of the Navajo language made it perfect for Native Americans working as these during World War II. And he responds, what are code breakers? Um, But that is incorrect. And Alex uh, gave kind of a clarifying comment. It seemed like they were maybe prepared for a response of that nature. Yeah. 
they were not breaking codes. They didn't know how to solve codes, um, but by using their own language, um, you know, with all of its complexity and unfamiliarity to to the other side, um, they were uh, they were code talkers. Um. Yeah. So David missed that. Kelly missed the the one before. Uh, we had a triple stumper after that, where Corey and Kelly both. Lost some. We we had a had kind of a rough second half of this game. Yeah. Uh, and going into final, Corey on the very last clue got out of the hole up to eighteen hundred, but Kelly had negged right before her, which uh, dropped her down into the red. So Kelly didn't get to play final Jeopardy. Corey was at eighteen hundred, which meant that David had a lock game at ninety eight hundred. Uh, it was a yeah. It was a rough. Rough end to that to that round. They get the category 19th century Americans, and the clue is obituaries called this man who died in 1820, a celebrated colonel, the first settler in Kentucky, and a man who delighted in perils and battle. Corey got it correct. She put who is Daniel Boone, and Alex, like, oh man, that really put her on the spot with like what was the other thought that you had? And she was like, uh, 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 I, I don't know. Uh, um, Davy Crockett. And he was like, yeah, yeah, that would be the second one. It's like, but it's wrong. Like, what are you doing, Alex? Uh, now give me a wrong answer. Right, exactly. Come up with a wrong answer right now. What's the most common wrong answer right now, Corey? Exactly. Like, are you worried about the fact that you are not winning again? Let me distract yeah. you with asking you something wildly off the cuff. Um, yeah. David got it incorrect, though. He crossed off Daniel Boone and wrote Davy Crockett. So he lost 48-23, and he was still the champion with a total of 4,977. Mm-hmm. But a win is a win. A um, win is a win. And, and 5,000 is nothing to sneeze at. No. Um, I mean, uh, if, some, if they're handing it out, I'll take some. I'll take no. $5,000. Seriously. So on Thursday, September 17th, uh, another of your anniversaries, uh, we, get, right. <laughs> <laughs> we get Beth Gunter, an attorney from Los Angeles, California, uh, Joe Velasco, a student from La Mirada, California, and David Ferrara, a realtor from Los Angeles, California, whose one-day cash winnings total 4,977. And the Jeopardy round categories are a shrubbery, word words, Daily Reading, U.S. Senator Rhyme Time, Aren't You, and Discount CEOs? That Is there a pun there that I'm missing? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there, mm. there is or not. Somebody tweet at us if you can tell us what the writers were doing here. I'm not really sure what's going on. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh, this board is making me upset. <laughs> We've got Elon Musk. We've got Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Uh, 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 no. We've been asked to stop talking about politics, but they're going to have to stop making boards full of these terrible people. Right. <laughs> it's not political when people are just bad. Yeah. It's not that we disagree with the politics. It's that mm-hmm. they take advantage and exploit and work against the well-being of others. Yeah. Anyway. Cool. Uh, I'll just go straight to the Daily Double because I don't. I want to stop looking at these. Uh, so the Daily Double <laughs> shows up in the discount CEOs category. It's at the eight hundred dollar level. Uh, Beth finds it. She wagers two thousand of her twenty six hundred. David's at four thousand. Joe's at three thousand. So it's it's fairly close. 
Uh, it's pick number 23, getting on in the round. She gets the clue. Jack Dorsey, CEO of this credit card processing giant, gets a $2.75 yearly salary. 2.75 being the percentage charged per swipe. Uh, and she got that right. That is square. There was also a picture of him holding it. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever seen it. Yeah, if you've ever like interacted with one of those like little square swipey devices. Yeah. That's how I got it. That one's pretty cool. I think yeah. that, that that is a that kind of technology is great for small business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I enjoyed the uh, I enjoyed the aren't you category, especially because some of these people I have a difficult time distinguishing from each other. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> so it was it was vindicating <laughs> to, to just have it be trivia that people can't tell Jesse Eisenberg and Michael Sarah apart because I cannot. Right. Um. Oh, I, mean, I mean, I can, but I also get it. It's also it's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, so at the end of the uh, end of the Jeopardy round, Beth is in the lead at seventy four hundred. David is in second at five thousand, and Joe is in third at forty two hundred. And he gets the categories: famous names, science and nature, one letter geography, film composition, the eighteenth century, and starts and ends with e. E in quotation marks. I believe you're a listomania enthusiast. I I would taken that stand, right? I mean. I have said that that term is one of the coolest things in the world. I am not necessarily a listomaniac. I like list. Um, Mm -hmm. He wrote some good stuff. But most of what he wrote was to show off how good of a piano player he was. Mm. So it's not like it's it's certainly better than anything I've ever written. But it's also not like super compositionally intriguing. Yeah. I, I just remember you getting excited about the the historical phenomenon of listomania, listomania? which, is, like, which yeah. is the reason I uh, was able to answer that question correctly. The question, the, the clue being, uh, Ringo Starr was the Pope and Roger Daltrey played the lead in a 1975 film called This Hungarian Omania. Um, I need so. to find that. Ringo Starr and Roger Daltrey? You kidding me? Yeah. Crazy. Hmm. All right. Add that one to the list. Speaking of the film composition category, uh, that's where we find Daily Double number two as the sixth pick at the $1,200 level. David finds this one, and he makes it a true Daily Double with 7400 He seems pretty uh, confident in the composer category. Gutsy, yes. Uh, Beth is also at 7400 Joe is at 5400 um, He gets the clue. 1938 and 1972 films, both called The Great Waltz, focus on this composer and he guesses who is schubert unfortunately the correct response here is johann strauss yeah he he fired off schubert right away like he was nodding like he was pretty sure he knew it Mm -hmm. um you know maybe he just missed he just swapped their names in his mind yeah yeah drop down to zero yeah he recovered some over the course of the game but that was that was um was a pretty rough moment yeah, seventy four hundred is a lot to a lot to have to make up. We find daily double number three in the science and nature category at the eight hundred dollar level. Joe finds this one and he wagers two thousand of his sixty two hundred. Uh, David's at four thousand and Beth is at seventy eight hundred. He gets the clue. Aside from the sun and the moon, this is the brightest natural object in the night sky. Uh, and he takes all of his time and guesses Venus, and that is correct. Yeah. I thought the clue at the $1,600 level of that category was, like, a little bit 
like tricky to frame the response. Uh, mm-hmm. Studying flares and the corona, in 2019, UK astronomers determined that this field is 10 times stronger than previously thought. That was a triple stumper. And I was I was at home saying, like, the, sun, the sun's field, the sun's... I, I think I landed on the sun's electromagnetic field, uh, which I think would have been, right, hopefully Electra doesn't change. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it would or not. Invalidate it. But yeah, I think... A little, a little tricky to kind of frame your response correctly for that. Yeah. Um, at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Joe is in the lead with fourteen thousand six hundred, uh, with Beth trailing just four four hundred dollars behind with fourteen thousand two hundred. David has seven thousand six hundred, so he is not out of contention, especially with those two so close. And they get the final Jeopardy category: twentieth century artists. And the clue is. Los tres grandes were Jose Clemente Orozco, uh, David Alfaro Siqueiros, and him. As uh, we're going to reveal the responses, Alex notes uh, perhaps the best known of those three great mural painters. David has wagered everything, 7,600, and has the correct response, who is Diego Rivera. Who we learned last week has a really, really, really long last name. Really long, um, but Diego Rivera is sufficient. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thankfully. Um, uh, Beth has wagered 12999 which is not the best move strategically. I think a small wager here to cover the possibility of an all-in from David, uh, which, in fact, he did do an all-in, and we've seen him do an all-in in this game previously in the daily double. Um, so, so a wager big enough to cover that would be wise. Um, but she goes really big here with 12,999. Um, she had written down who is Diego Rivera and then crossed it out and put Picasso. Oof. Um, yeah, and Alex even warned at the top of the show about how David had done that the previous day. Like, don't, mm-hmm. you know, go with your gut, go with your first thought. Yeah. So she drops down to 1,201. Uh, Joe has responded, who is Rivera, uh, wagering 5,500, which brings him up to 20,100, which makes him the winner for today. That is right. And so that brings us to Friday, September 18th, when we have the contestants Herman Wilkins, a filmmaker from Los Angeles, California, Sarah Twilley, a music teacher from Seal Beach, California, and Joe Velasco, a student from La Mirada, California, whose one-day cash winnings total $20,100. And we get the Jeopardy round categories, altruistic athletes, beastly books, antonyms, potpourri, again, advice from the sidelines, and isms, ISM in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. There was a lot I liked here. I liked seeing Misty of Chincoteague by Marguerite Henry. Because uh, anyone who has had a horse girl phase or a horse <laughs> person phase in their childhood would uh, would be familiar with that one. That was fun. I guessed horse because it sounded like a horse book. Mm-hmm. It sounded like a horse girl book. Yeah, um, and you can, I think you can, uh, you could get to it even if you're not familiar with the, so first of all, Marguerite Henry just writes horse books. That's all she writes. 
So if you recognize the author or the title of the work, you can get it. Um, Chincoteague also has, I believe, like wild horses. Um, so if you're familiar with it, like like geographically, you could get it that way. Okay. Yeah. Neither of those things were familiar to me. <laughs> the altruistic athletes. Personally, I thought it ran a bit easy, but I realized like, you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. The contestants got three. They missed the $600 clue. This number 24 driver is taking the fight to childhood cancer, not only in the U.S., but in Rwanda. That's Jeff Gordon. That's Jeff Gordon. The only thing you can know that is that he's number 24, um, because I I have no idea what connects him to Rwanda other than just simply the fact that he chose Rwanda to do some charitable work in. Mm-hmm. I was pleased with myself for knowing that one. I don't know a whole lot of NASCAR drivers, but Jeff Gordon is one of the few with whom I'm familiar. I can um, also see that being a little tricky because he has been retired for a while. So he's not the 24 driver anymore. Yeah. Let me correct myself about Chincoteague. Um, they actually, they are Chincoteague ponies, but they they live in a feral condition on Assateague Island uh, nearby. So, oh. That was close. Yeah. Dodge some major Twitter bullets there. Yeah. Correcting that. The horse oh, coming for me. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, And then back in the the athletes category at the $1,000 level, uh, another triple stumper was Muhammad Ali opened a youth center that teaches confidence and respect in this hometown of his. And that's Louisville. I feel like that's just, um, you know, for like American cities trivia, like Mm -hmm. Louisville has uh, the Kentucky Derby and it's a home to Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's just a thing. Like they have a Muhammad Ali statue. I uh, learned that in Learned League this season. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, Came up in Learned League just now. Just that recently. was recent. Yeah. Uh, we get Daily Double number one in the isms category uh, at the $400 level. Joe finds it and uh, makes it a true $1,000. Um, I thought he was fun. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah, a true Daily clever. Double with $1,000. Um, Sarah was at 800 at this point and Herman was at 400 He gets the clue, term for the ideas, theories, and methods named for the man seen here. And he had an image of a kind of bearded 19th century guy. He guessed what is Darwinism. Uh, The correct response there is Marxism. Uh, It was Karl Marx, uh, not Charles Darwin. And that is one of the rare instances where you just had to know the picture. Yeah. Because... The clue could be pointing to Darwinism. Right. Yes, it is. It was just a, who is this? Yeah. Um, he has an ism named after him. And Darwinism hadn't occurred to me, but the very reasonable guess, you know? Yeah. But it was, in fact, Karl Marx. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that dropped him back down to zero, but he, uh, he recovered pretty well from that point. Yeah. I learned that I have been using the word kibitz incorrectly for... As long as I have known that kibitz was a word. Uh, the advice from the sidelines category at the $800 level. This six-letter word means to comment as a spectator, such as when watching a card game. And that is apparently kibitz. Um, I always thought it was just to, like, make conversation. Huh. I'm not sure I had a definition in my head for it. I knew it was a word, but I hadn't quite narrowed down exactly what i thought the definition was um so i learned also Mm -hmm. yeah all right so at the end of the jeopardy round sarah is in the lead at 4600 
Joe has 4,200, and Herman is at 1,600, and we get the double jeopardy categories. Places of Substance, Movies Last Lines, The Apostles, Words and Phrases, Bo Jack, and Norsemen. <laughs> That's funny. I got that one. Yes. So did the laugh track that they played. <laughs> yes. Ugh. <laughs> I hate laugh tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was the studio completely empty? I don't actually know. There were a few reactions that sounded as if maybe like one or two audience members per contestant had been allowed in or something like that. Like there were things yeah, that maybe. didn't sound totally canned. Oh, well, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the laugh track was a laugh track. But like, I think there was like a response to like a correct answer or a daily double that didn't seem generic to me, mm. you know? Nice. I don't know. Maybe somebody will let us know. Maybe. Uh, We got another Learned League uh, reference in the very first pick of the round. It's the $400 clue in Norseman. The clue is unlike Hagar's, this first complete Viking, or the first complete Viking helmet ever found lacks these. Largely an invention of a 19th century Wagner opera designer. Uh, And those are horns. Mm -hmm. Viking helmets did not have horns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot. I feel like there's been a lot of Learned League connections recently, although maybe it's just that if you play enough trivia... Eventually everything to... everything crosses over. Yep. Do you want to talk about the Apostles? Oh, I wasn't actually sure how they would do five questions about the Apostles, um, but they did a nice job. Uh, we started with Doubting Thomas. I thought that was a good $400 clue. And then uh, the $800 clue talked about uh, the lottery they had to replace judas as a 12th apostle 12 is like the number is like a a number of like completion there there are actually there's more than one number of like seven also um uh but 12 corresponds with uh the 12 tribes of israel so it's like symbolic would have been important to them to to be 12 instead of 11 so yeah they use they like they cast lots i believe to choose a a 12th um, apostle, which it's interesting when you think about it, how often in the Bible they use like, um, like lots or like other kind of elements of chance to try and discern the divine will. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, contemporary Christians often are sort of, uh, hesitant to use that kind of thing. Um, sure. It's all, it's all over the Bible, which is interesting. We got Paul again. We've talked about him and, uh, yeah, no, it was a good category. Progressed to more difficult Two apostles with the same name was a triple stumper at the 1600. Uh, that's uh, James. Uh, there are two Jameses. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about the apostles. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was a good category, I thought. Yeah. Uh, we get Daily Double number two in the movie's last lines category at the $1,600 level. Herman finds it and he bets it all 3200 he is behind Joe's 4,200 and Sarah's 9,000. Sarah got off to a pretty good start in the Double Jeopardy round. Uh, so he wagers 3,200 and he gets the clue. Barnard Hughes, quote, One thing about living in Santa Carla, I could never stomach. All the damn vampires. And that is from The Lost Boys, which I have no idea. But Herman got it right. Yeah, I've heard of The Lost Boys. Um... But I couldn't, I, I haven't seen the movie, I couldn't pull that one. Yeah, I, I had no idea. 
Uh, we find Daily Dumbbell number three at the $1,600 level of words and phrases. Uh, it is pick number 22. Joe finds it after uh, getting the $2,000 right with Uncanny Valley. We had that one in our Trivial Pursuit episode. We did. That has yeah. stuck with me for mm-hmm. since then. It's a good term. Uh, so Joe finds this one and uh, wagers $2,500. Of his 7,800, um, Sarah's at 11,800 at this point, and Herman is at 10,400. Uh, this would have been a good time to make a bigger move and get that lead. Um, mm-hmm. uh, 2,500 is going to, if he's correct, take him up into a close third place instead of a more distant third place. Um, right. But if he misses it, that's that's going to still set him back. And I think he's he's nervous to drop too low. But yeah. With only eight clues left on the board, dropping to 5,000 is um, uh, going to be tough to recover from. Anyway, he gets the clue. Originally a sci-fi term for a trainee astronaut, this two-word term now describes someone not in touch with reality. And he correctly responds, what is a space cadet? I, I It had honestly never occurred to me that it originally uh, <laughs> had a Men- meaning. <laughs> yeah. Other than somebody, you know, daydreaming their way through their activities and, you know, right. uh, whatever. Um, or just, you know, a generic three-year-old, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, at the end of the Double Jeopardy round, Herman is at 9,200, Joe is at 9,900, and Sarah is at 13,800. And they get the category English Poets. Ooh. My favorite. Uh, and the clue, an 1816 poem by him says, quote, That with music loud and long, I would build that dome in air, that sunny dome. And uh, Herman bet 4601 uh, to get a dollar ahead of Sarah. And he wrote, Who is Lord Byron? That is incorrect. Mm-hmm. Joe wagered 5000 I don't know if he just didn't want to do any math or something. Uh, he also guessed who is Byron. Both of those are incorrect. Uh, so they both dropped out. And Sarah got it correct. She wagered 6,001 with who is Coleridge. Samuel mm-hmm. Taylor Coleridge. Mm-hmm. I knew that this was Xanadu. Nice. And I could not remember if it was Tennyson or Coleridge. So uh, I don't. I do not know what I would have written down. Yeah. I do not know. I ended up going with Coleridge on... Um, on the hope that it was Xanadu, I made the dome connection because I've read Xanadu for, you know, for a class once upon a time. Um, but I just was not confident enough that there wasn't some other dome I should be thinking of. But right. I guess was right, as was Sarah's. She seemed surprised and pleased. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, we have a music teacher as the returning champion on Monday. Very nice. Feels good. Yeah. Maybe eventually we'll get enough to have a music teacher's only uh, invite tournament <clears throat> or something. They can have it right after the, the clergy tournament. Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, the top choreat second placers yes, tournament. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> We're and just uh, always... should, have, should have been accepted for misspellings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay, all right. Yes, I'm grasping at straws. No, wishing no, I could those get are, back on Jeopardy. I'm, I'm not criticizing. Those are all <laughs> valid 
options. I think they should do all of them. Because now that I've been on the show, I don't care about seeing new people. I just want to go back on over and over again. Mm -hmm. Just kidding. I like seeing new people. Yeah. It's fun seeing new people. Uh, It is not lost on me that uh, every time they bring back former contestants instead of having new shows, like that is, you know, 10 new contestants per week that are not getting their shot. Uh, right in that season but i really want to go back on i know right yeah, <laughs> yeah. i don't i don't know if that ever goes away yeah i mean yeah. It, i guess it does if you become the greatest of all time because yeah um, anyway but that's that hasn't happened to most of us all right so ooh, it's been a while since we've gotten to this point and guess what things still aren't good <laughs> they're not great no so, they're, they're uh, pretty bad honestly yeah so once again, we encourage you to, um, to to find something to give financially or give of your time or your advocacy. Find a way to contribute positively to, you know, something yeah. in your community and in our, our nation at large. I realize I'm speaking to an American audience here. There may be international listeners. And if there are, then, hey, awesome. But I believe most of them are American. Yeah, uh, for the most so, part. We have been highlighting Community Justice Exchange and BlackLivesMatter.com, uh, which are still valid and still very much relevant and important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you have not checked those out, please do so, even if that does nothing but to uh, you know, move your mind in a certain direction uh, and get you thinking about, about things a little bit differently or a little bit more, more accurately. Yeah, find a way to help, because man, we mentioned the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg at the beginning of the episode and... It just seems like it's going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah. I don't know. I believe in us. We can make a difference. Yeah. So find a place to connect. We imagine most of you are doing it, but I want to encourage you. Um, and that is a higher priority than uh, to us than uh, supporting the media that you consume. Although if you have a bandwidth to do that too, that is good. Uh, art mm-hmm. is good entertainment. But fixing the problems in our world... Uh, that's what matters. Yep. All right. What am I talking about, Emily? Are you talking about Barry Gordy? No, I'm not talking about Barry Gordy. Okay. Are you talking about the California Gold Rush? Ooh. No. Okay. I'm not, but that's actually now that I remember. Yeah, that was a really uh, odd triple stumper that they all danced around 1848 instead right. of saying it. yes the trick with that was to know that they were 49ers and figure out that what immediately preceded 49ers arriving was a was an 1848 discovery um yeah but uh back to my guess's third and final guess uh krakatoa what the how do you <laughs> yes! how could you possibly guess that because i'm awesome I thought for sure one of your guesses was going to be Sylvia Plath, because I was—I really thought about talking about Sylvia Plath. You know, Ugh. I would have loved to hear you talk about Sylvia Plath. I think I, I have one time too many guessed things that you said, oh, no, that that would be like a better topic for you to talk about. Oh, yeah. Um, so. No, I, 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 I did see that and think about, well, if there's a time for me to, you know, dive into poetry, no time better than the present. But yeah, I'm talking about Krakatoa. Damn awesome. It. I mean, this will be a, a kind of deep dive, I guess. Uh, I'm really just going to be talking about its volcanic activity and particularly uh, the eruption of 1883. Um, however, there have been more recent 
eruptions and activity. So, all right, Krakatoa, or I'm not going to be able to really do it justice in Indonesian, but it's something closer to uh, Krakatau, is a caldera, which uh, I believe we talked about in the Protovol yeah, uh, episode, right. which is a, a, a hollow that forms after uh, a volcanic eruption when the magma chamber is empty, and so the uh, earth above it collapses. So Krakatoa is a caldera. It lies in the Sunda Strait between the islands of Java and Sumatra in the Indonesian province of Lampung. And uh, it's part of a volcanic island group uh, comprising four islands, which is the Krakatoa Archipelago, uh, two of which, Long and Verlaton, are remnants of the previ- of a previous volcanis- volcanic edifice destroyed in eruptions way long before 1883. Another island, Rakata, is the remnant of a much larger island destroyed in the 1883 eruption. So that eruption was huge. So the, the clue that, that I'm referencing, it was on uh, the Tuesday episode in the Double Jeopardy Round category, Volcanoes, which is appropriate. $2,000 clue. In 1883, an explosive eruption of this volcano in the Sunda Strait could be heard nearly 3,000 miles away, and that is Krakatoa. That was a triple stumper. Uh, A fourth island in 1927 emerged uh, from the caldera formed in 1883, and it's called Anak Krakatoa, which means Child of Krakatoa. And that island has had uh, uh, some eruptive volcanic activity since the 1990s. Uh, In particular, there was an explosion that caused a pretty bad tsunami in December 2018, uh, if we remember that. Mm, Yeah. Pretty bad. Uh, Anyway, there are a number of early descriptions of an island in the Sunda Strait with a pointed mountain, uh, but the earliest mention of Krakatoa by name in Western uh, writings is was on a 1611 map by Lucas Janssen Wagner, which I totally got that right, who uh, labeled it Pulo Karkata. Pulo is the Sundanese word for island, and, and Sundanese is one of the languages spoken in Indonesia, particularly on Java. And there are a bunch of variations that have been found in writings through like Portuguese and, and other Dutch writings and things like that. But the origin of the name Krakatoa is uncertain. It is one of Indonesia's over 130 active volcanoes, which is the most of any nation. Um, and a lot of the islands of Indonesia are volcanic islands. They are part of the Ring of Fire. And Krakatoa, in particular, is directly above the subduction zone of the Eurasian Plate and the Indo-Australian Plate, which is where the tectonic plates uh, meet, which is why there's a lot of uh, volcanic activity there. Uh, So at some point in prehistory, an early caldera-forming eruption had occurred, leaving as remnants the uh, islands Verleten Long Pulschhod, which means Polish hat in, I believe, Dutch, um, and the base of Rakata, which became, which which was destroyed later, Uh, and then two more cones formed and eventually joined with it, forming the main island of Krakatoa. As far back as we know, based on writings from Java or other uh, islands in Indonesia, we know that there was a 416 CE event. Uh, and that comes from the Book of Kings, or the Pustaka Raja, that records that in the year uh, 338 Saka, or 416 CE, a thundering sound was heard from the mountain Butuwara, uh, which is an extinct volcano now, 
and was answered by a similar noise from Kapi lying westward of the mountain of Bantam. Uh, and so this description leads us to believe that this was part of Krakatoa. In 535, it's possible that Krakatoa may have been responsible for, or at least in part responsible for the climate change that occurred in 535 and 536. Uh, there was significant cooling over that the course of that year, uh, and Krakatoa, as well as possible other causes, may have been uh, responsible for that. Uh, in 1680, uh, there is mentioned activity from the writings in 1681. Johann Wilhelm Vogel, a Dutch mining engineer in Sumatra, uh, was on his way to what is now Jakarta, but at the time was called Batavia. So there's some trivia for you there. Uh, Jakarta, capital of Indonesia, when it was a Dutch colony, was called Batavia. Mm. Uh, he passed through the Sunda Strait, and he's and he wrote that I saw with amazement that the island of Krakatoa on my first trip to Sumatra, completely green and healthy with trees, lay completely burnt and barren in front of our eyes, and that at four locations was throwing up large chunks of fire. And when I asked the ship's captain when the aforementioned island had erupted, he told me that this had happened in May 1680. He showed me a piece of pumice as big as his fist. So that was in 1680. In 1780, February 1780, the crews of the HMS Resolution and HMS Discovery, on their way home after Captain Cook's death in Hawaii, uh, stopped for a few days on Krakatoa. They found fresh water and a hot spring on the island, but there was no activity at that time. Um, and then Americans visited later in the after the establishment of the United States in the 1830s, uh, and they report things like... Uh, large flocks of parrots, monkeys in great variety. So uh, every after each eruption, volcanic soil is fairly fertile, uh, and the island would recover pretty quickly. And the Dutch set up a naval station there uh, back in the 17th century, as well as a pepper plantation and a penal colony. So those are all cool things. However, uh, all of these things were utterly annihilated in 1883. So uh, the 1883 eruption was actually a series of eruptions and, and volcanic activity, which began on the afternoon of Sunday, August 26th, 1883, and peaked uh, on the late morning of the 27th. Uh, however, there was some rumblings and early activity as early as May of that year. Uh, over 70% of the island of Krakatoa and its surrounding archipelago were destroyed uh, as it exploded and then collapsed. The eruption was one of the deadliest and most destructive volcanic events in recorded history. And explosions were so violent, like the clue said, uh, that they were heard 3,110 kilometers away in Perth, Western Australia, and Rodriguez, near, which is an island near Meridius, uh, over 3,000 miles away. At least 36,417 deaths are attributed to the eruption and the tsunamis that it created. However, there's speculation that it could be as high as 120,000. Wow. Yeah. Really unbelievably massive thing mm -hmm. that we have not experienced in our yeah. lifetime. And significant additional effects were felt all around the world for days and weeks afterward. Um, additional seismic activity continued until February of 1884. So it wasn't done, but that was obviously the biggest thing. On August 27th, four enormous explosions occurred, which marked the climax of the eruption. At 5.30 a.m., the first explosion was at uh, Perboaton, triggering a tsunami 
that headed toward Telak Betong, now known as Bandar Lampong. At 6.44, Krakatoa exploded again, and the resulting tsunami went eastward and westward. The third and largest explosion at 10.02 a.m. was so violent that it was heard all the way in Perth and in Rodriguez as well. The third explosion has been reported as the loudest sound heard in historic times. The loudness of the blast heard 160 kilometers or 100 miles from the volcano has been calculated to have been 180 decibels, which is mind-numbing. And the power of the explosion is estimated to be about 200 megatons, which is about four times as powerful as the most powerful thermonuclear weapon ever detonated, which was the Tsar Bomba by the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. Uh, And at 1041, a landslide tore off half of Rakata volcano, along with the rest of the island to the north of Rakata, causing the final explosion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it released a pressure wave, obviously a massive explosion of that. Uh, it was recorded on barographs all over the world. Several of them recorded the wave seven times over the course of five days. Four times with the wave traveling away from the volcano to its antipodal point. Three times traveling back to the volcano. So that says that the wave rounded the globe three and a half times. Wow. Yeah. And approximately 25 cubic miles of ash and rock was propelled into the atmosphere to an estimated height of 50 miles Mm. Uh, after the explosions uh the the eruptions diminished quite rapidly and krakatoa went silent um for a long time yeah obviously there were a number of tsunamis ships as far away as south africa were rocked by these waves um and it said that the bodies of victims were found floating in the ocean for months after the event. There are stories of, even even up to a year later, uh, charred human remains on top of volcanic rock floating to the African coast. So, uh, obviously, like I said, the, uh, the volcano itself and the surrounding islands nearly disappeared, and the material that was deposited into the ocean floor drastically altered it. There was, a, you know, a ton of volcanic rock and uh other materials as well as you know a lot of the more noxious gases and things that come through Mm -hmm. uh volcanic vents um but volcanic ash continues to be a significant part of the geological composition of the islands surrounding krakatoa and uh java uh it also clearly affected the global climate yeah the following year the average northern hemisphere summer temperatures fell by 0.72 degrees fahrenheit or nearly half a degree celsius and record rainfall hit southern california during that year and that has been attributed to the krakatoa eruption causing Mm -hmm. more clouds more more precipitation yeah it also injected an unusually large amount of like i mentioned uh sulfur dioxide into the stratosphere Mm -hmm. um, which led to a global increase in sulfuric acid concentrations in cirrus clouds which led to more uh, incoming light being reflected from the sun than usual, and the cool er, and and cooled the entire planet until the sulfur fell to the ground as acid rain, huh. which is interesting. So if we want to stop global warming, we just got to put a bunch of sulfur dioxide in the in the sky. What could go wrong? Problem solved. And of course, the ash also like you know darkened the world <laughs> in a number yeah. of places as well. So that's that's the 1883 eruption, and that's really what you probably need to know about Krakatoa, about 
the eruption itself. And uh, but like I mentioned, there have been uh, recent activity, like December twenty eighteen. Even this year, there was an eruption in twenty twenty. Uh, mm. Yeah, Anak Krakatoa, the child of Krakatoa. In April, there was an eruption uh, which uh, then led to a lava spill and caused a tsunami along the coasts of Sumatra and Java, killing 430 people. So very recently, it is still active. So that's Krakatoa. Um, It has a lot of uh, popular culture sort of mystique, right? A lot of books have been written about it, movies made. Uh, it's, you know, been talked about in in television and, and various other places, uh, as sort of a, an exotic and dangerous place, you know, the, that far East volcano that could destroy the world, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really all I I think I need to say about it. it. Just, you know, giving more information about it, about where it is, when it was, how that thing went. Yeah, all I knew was that it was a thing, so... Uh, right, that's... Yeah, yeah I, I knew it was a volcano, and I knew it had mm-hmm. erupted. Yeah, that's that's about where I was. Um, so this is helpful to contextualize that. Thanks. All right, so, you ready for a quiz? Uh, yes, I am ready for a quiz. Okay, so these all of these questions are related to volcanoes or volcanology in some way. Okay. Or, or, Krak- or Krakatoa in some way. All right. Even if it, even if it's a bit, um, you know, tangential. Okay, sounds good. All right, here we go. Uh, question one: Krakatoa has been a part of popular culture since its massive 1883 eruption. If you mention Krakatoa to literally any one of my parents' generation, they will immediately rattle off the title of a 1968 disaster film starring Max Schnell and Brian Keefe. What is this geographically inaccurate title? I don't think I know. Geographically inaccurate title. 1968 disaster film. I don't know. I'm going to take a pass. Okay. Uh, it, it did get renamed simply Volcano later in the 70s in a re-release because this title is incorrect. Uh, it is Krakatoa East of Java. Oh. Have you ever heard that? I have not ever heard that. I don't... Like, every every parent... Really, it's every dad that I have known growing up. You stub your toe, and every single one of them is, says, like, oh, you cracked your toe. Crack toe east of Java. Ne- never, you've never heard that. That is not ringing a bell. Wow. I have, I, either, either you are in the minority, or I have just met a very specific subset of boomers. Huh. All right. Sorry. Anyway. All right. Today uh, but I it's, it's, it's geographically inaccurate because Krakatoa is actually west of Java, but the makers of the movie thought that, uh, East of Java sounds better, like, off the tongue, and mm-hmm. also to evoke the sense of the Far East, whatever. Yeah, uh, ugh. okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it was 1968, they were really caring about that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay, question two. These are some of the characteristics that differentiate this science fiction race from humans. Their heart is on the right side between the ribs and pelvis. They may become inebriated from chocolate. It is a custom for guests to prepare meals for their hosts. They experience a seven-year itch of sorts called Ponfar, which requires them to engage in sexual intercourse or find some alternative like violence or meditation. Or they suffer insanity and possibly death. 
They can meld minds with another sentient being. What race is this whose salute has become the most recognizable symbol of the intellectual property that it comes from? Those Vulcans from Star Trek. Those are, yes, those are Vulcans. I had a lot of fun learning some of these things that are like pulled from, you know, like one episode of one of the series. Those, those were some, I mean, you know, I've watched some Star Trek. I can't claim to have watched all the Star Trek. Surely right. there are listeners who know a lot more about Star Trek than me. Um, but the, those felt like some deep cuts. I, we, we started heading yeah. down a kind of a sci-fi race. And I was like, well, Vulcans would make sense kind of etymologically. And then I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know about any of these. How is this? Um, and then we got to the Vulcan mind belt. And I was like, oh, right. Good. Yeah, I, I got through the, the first ones. I was like, that is, those are deep cuts. I don't, <laughs> we have to take one of them. Uh Cool. All right, you have ten. You have twenty points because you got you got the guess for. Oh Krakatoa. right, yes. Jeez, Louise. Question three. It's really short. Vulcan is the Roman god of the forge. What is the name of his Greek predecessor? Oh, I'm so bad at Greek and Roman gods. Which there's no excuse because it wouldn't actually. Well, Greek and Roman mythology gets complicated, but there's no excuse really for me to not know them all. But is it Hephaestus? It is Hephaestus. Yay! Okay. Yes. His, uh, he was born with deformed legs, and Hera, or Juno, saved him from simply being discarded. And uh, he became the god of the forge, and also the husband of Aphrodite, or Venus. Mm-hmm. That all rings a bell. All right, 30 points. Question four. There are multiple terms that are used to describe different types of lava. But two that we have seen before in Protobol, Aa and Pahoihoi, come from what language? Oh. Appropriately, one might say. I think they might be Hawaiian. Are they Hawaiian? They are Hawaiian. They are Hawaiian. And I'd, I have no idea if this is true or not, but something I remember from like ninth grade geology class is that Aa is called Aa because it is sharp and difficult to walk on and so <laughs> they named it that because that's the sound you make when you walk on it i don't know if that's true that might be like actually super racist i don't sounds know sounds like a false etymology to me but i don't actually have any information about that so. right i i, I don't know <laughs> but that did st- make it stick in my head as like remembering what that is so at least it's a mnemonic device even if it is you know factually incorrect yeah. All right, you're up to 40 points. All right. Question five. This is a history question. Indonesia is home to Krakatoa and Mount Tambora, which are the two most deadly volcanic eruptions in recorded history. Krakatoa is approximately 36,000, but could be much higher. Uh, fatalities is second to Mount Tambora's approximate, approximately 71,000, which could also be much higher. Tambora's 1815 eruption contributed significantly to 1816, being known as the year without a what. It was also called the poverty year and 1800 and froze to death. Oh, was it the year without a summer? It is the year without a summer. Nice job. So, Thank you. Yeah, like so we, we talked about how Krakatoa affected the global climate. Uh, Mount Tambora, in combination with other things, uh very like strongly affected the global climate and uh it caused a famine in northern europe Mm -hmm. Uh, okay you have 50 points all right and the final category is art art i'm not sure where you're heading with that 
don't know. I'm not sure if I trust myself so much on this one. I'm going to go all in. I'm yes. All in. Yeah. Never the wrong call. Sometimes except for when it is. It's the wrong call. <laughs> so, sometimes like, it is. That's like the thesis <laughs> statement of this podcast. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, whatever. I don't listen to us. What are you talking about? <laughs> all right. Uh, here it is. As previously mentioned, Krakatoa's eruption uh, severely affected the atmosphere of the entire world. In fact, in 2004, an article in Sky and Telescope magazine suggested that the blood-red sky shown in this famous painting depicts the color of the sky over Norway after the eruption. Oh. I'm going to guess the scream. And you're going to be correct. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... Yeah, there there is um, a group of astronomers and like art critics and you know historians and whoever kind of collaborated on this article and and this research to come to the conclusion that the you know the red sky in the background in the scream is not simply an expressionist like technique, but it's actually a depiction of the red sky caused by the eruption of Krakatoa. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Huh. Super cool. Anyway. You have 100 points again. That was a very fun quiz. I'm glad. I'm glad it was. And here we are. Congratulations. Congratulations. That is awesome. You you are, uh, I think, pretty pretty firmly ensconced at the top of the leaderboard for our quiz. It's because I keep writing you really hard quizzes. Eh, Or I just don't know as much. (laughs) That could very well be it. That's my suspicion anyway. We hope you had fun, listeners, as well. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, It is always nice to be able to share this with you and, you know, talk about Jeopardy. It's back. It's back. It's back. I'm so glad Jeopardy is back. Yeah. It it was really nice this week to be able to get back into that routine. So thank you for listening. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and subscribe and rate or review on your podcast app of choice. Uh, and you can check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potentpotables if you wish. Or uh, once again, we encourage you to find a way to contribute to your community. Mm-hmm. You can tell your friends about us, um, regardless of your uh, interest or ability uh, to subscribe to our Patreon and uh, maybe get, get help us uh, find some more listeners, some more Jeopardy fans to talk about Jeopardy with slash two. Uh, you and they <laughs> can find us on social media. Uh, we're on Facebook at Potent Potables. We are on Twitter at Potent Potables One. I'm also over on my personal account fighting about the pronunciation of Barry constantly. Ask me how much time I've spent on that this week. Uh, our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And uh, you can find us on the internet at www.potentpod.com If you don't put the www, you don't get to us. I don't really know why. You need the www for us. Who knows? Interesting. Yes. Also, for me, at least, if you Google Potent Potables, we are the first hit. Yes. Just don't don't correctly spell potables or potables, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, we will be back next week. With another week of New Jeopardies. Mm-hmm. 
and we don't know what they're going to be because they're not reruns anymore. Hooray! Yay! <laughs> Yay! Uh, so until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.